Hello, welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with George Ortega and Jamie Soden. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the first cause argument for God's existence and how it is an argument for determinism. Because I've heard this many times, it's listed as one of the oldest arguments for God's existence that every, everything um, has to be caused. There has to be a, a cause for something to happen. And so people have a tendency to say that God is the intelligence that set up all the dominoes and set off the chain of dominoes, which is interesting because, um, I, you know, there, I think we can, we can each share our opinions on this thing, but in, essentially their argument is an argument for determinism that things have to be caused. And so we could talk about how effective is this as an argument for both God's existence and for determinism in and of itself. Because I believe that anyone who makes this first cause argument must necessarily um, refute free will, must reject free will based on their very premise. So what do you guys think so far? All right, I think uh, two things. One, um, yes, when, when we... Um, when we apply causality like to God's existence, that God must have caused everything, that is a kind of like an example of causality. Um, and so like, you know, if God, you know, created the world, God created or caused the world way before anyone was born, so that, that refutes free will. But, you know, there is a kind of, of an, an element here that transcends reason because like, you know, then... Then the question is like, well, you know, what caused God, or did God exist eternally? And that seems to be the the um, prevalent belief. But you know, I think our logic, you know, our minds, in a certain sense, we can accept that everything that God always existed. But in a certain sense, you know, like, then God is an uncaused cause, you know, or God is the only uncaused cause in reality. So it's not completely, I think, satisfactory, but I think that's the best we get to it. I think that's, that's a better answer than, than saying that, um, that there was like, that God just like came into being at a certain point and before that, you know, God wasn't. But e either prospect would refute free will, though. Yeah, and see, my larger point is explaining how it conflicts with free will. Because one thing we have to admit is that the the only like the only way to um to get out of this is to throw in a causal events throw in things happening for no reason which which of course blows apart free will just as much but part of the problem with a causality if um things can be caused uncaused you know uncaused cause where um, a god pops into existence after not have exist not existing before. Well, then there would be no rule to say that only one such god can pop into existence. An infinite number of gods might randomly pop into existence at any time. <laughs> so it kind so it's so I would say that not only does it mess up free will whether you have determinism or indeterminism, but it also ruins monotheism. If you try to um, throw in a causal events, 
So I think the only thing that we're stuck with is either an eternal an eternal God that created the universe or an eternal universe, which is what I stand for. But of course, I know, George, for you, God is the universe in a way. Right. I would kind of like, because, you know, for example, like the universe has laws of nature, you know, cause and effect being a law of nature, you know, just things that govern the universe, things that make the universe behave as it does. And so, like, when you think of it, you can, like, describe that naturalistically as the universe, as the laws of nature. Or, you know, theologically, you could describe that as God. God is what kind of, like, sets the rules that, that the universe has to, you know, behave by. So it's kind of like, it, it is a, a, you know, one can, um, you know, God and the universe in that sense seem to be synonymous. Well, here's an interesting thought, George. You know, I believe it's called the first law of thermodynamics that matters neither created nor destroyed. And I think we need to consider the question of, is that true? Because if, if it is true and that matters neither created nor destroyed but just constantly changes form, I think that implies to an eternal universe, you know? Yeah, and there's something interesting about that law and actually about every other physical law that we, um, you know, understand. And that's that, you know, basically that these laws somehow, according to our best understanding, because, you know, otherwise we're just guessing, uh, they came into existence at the Big Bang. You know, in other words, like before the Big Bang, we couldn't say that... that um, you know, um, in other words, it would seem, it, would, it logically seems to us that the matter that, um, the energy that was there at the Big Bang, you know, it, it, it would seem that it, it, it had to have existed before, but, but we don't have any evidence of, of that, so we just posit that just logically, kind of like based on that law, based on the law that you can't create or destroy anything, but most technically, you know, that that law and all the laws of nature, def, you know, they, they, they tend to apply, you know, post Big Bang. But again, lot, with, with some of them at least, you know, logic would dictate that they also existed before that event. Yeah, and it's interesting because, see, if, um, like with the whole thermodynamics thing, if matter is neither created nor destroyed, then whatever we have we have now if there was a big bang all that energy and matter still had to be there yeah jamie what's your take on this um my take is um you know the um whole uh, parallel universe or multiverse theory that, um stream theory brings up well i think if energy and matter can't be uh created nor destroyed but changes one from one form to another like the first law of thermodynamics um implies then um, we have to um, you can almost assume that there had to be universes before this one can't you George yeah and see like you know Jamie that's a really good point because like there's two ways of talking about multiple universes one way is kind of like that they come one after each other you know like there was a universe before this and then maybe like maybe like you know I mean, actually, it's interesting because our current thinking, our current knowledge seems to um, 
tell us that the universe is expanding at a faster and faster rate, which would mean that it, it wouldn't collapse on itself. Because like we used to think that it would, who knows, maybe it does, but that would be like a universe, you know, following a universe, following a universe. But there's another conception of multiple universes that I'm not sure I, I really can, um, can go with because it just, it doesn't make sense in a certain way. I mean, basically the, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics that says like, you know, anytime there is like, for, for example, uh, particle A can move to pos position one or position two, right? It has that option based on like what's, you know, it's a possibility. And actually it could move into position three, four, five, and an infinite number of other positions apparently. So like the multiple universes um, theory, the many worlds interpretation rather, says that, well, all those things happen. And I'm sorry, I just can't buy that. That's kind of like, that's kind of like just saying, well, everything's possible, anything's possible, so everything's possible. But it's just like, I don't think we have any evidence of that. You know, it's just like a theory. But, but again, the, what, you, what you were referring to in terms of like one universe following the next, following the next, that, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, that could conceivably be. And um, the end of the universe that's supposed to happen, I mean, there's, there's multiple scenarios, there's multiple theories based on how the universe will end. But the most likely ones seem to be either big rip, big freeze, or um, vacuum decay. I think it's called George. Have you heard of that? Um, I'm not sure I'm familiar with vacuum de decay. Can you describe that a bit, or? Um, it's something to do with um, the energy states um, of the universe uh, changing. Like you got the false vacuum, and then you got the true vacuum. What we're in at the moment, according to the Wikipedia and other sources is the universe is supposed to have a quantum state called the false vacuum and a true vacuum is um, a different kind of energy state if that happened, if if a true vacuum happened then um, the whole uh, space-time continuum would uh, change basically and this universe will be um, like effectively erased and replaced with another hmm. yeah. well I think the important point about any of these prospects is they're all causal right they all rely on cause and effect something is causing you know like the the vacuum to to change form or the universe to to collapse or freeze or whatever and so like would so without be common sense yeah i mean it have to be causal i mean if it you, you can't have saint the sun caused can you so exactly yeah yeah and even though i don't understand that uh how the universe would end because i you know one person told me the universe is going to burn up somebody else has told me it's going to freeze and i don't know the science behind that but for me it's just as hard to imagine an end to the universe as it is the beginning of the universe i mean i could see a disaster like maybe someone could say a disaster would happen that w would wipe out all the conscious life, but the, the matter would still all be there somewhere. Right. So it's Chandler, I think what you're making a distinction between the observable universe that started 13.8 billion years ago at the Big Bang and the theoretically infinite universe that, that you know, theoretically or logically existed before the Big Bang and will exist after the end of this, you know, observable universe, you know, if it ends. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good point, George, because when I talk about the universe, I am not just about the observable universe. I'm like about the stuff that's 
that's somewhere whether we can observe it or not. <laughs> you mean all of existence? Yeah, yeah, basically all of existence, one existence, you know, uni meaning one. Which, yeah. See, yeah, because I mean, like, you know, I mean, again, like, there, we, we run into a logical problem with... Um, with an infinite regress and in, you know into the past but we also run into a major one when we posit that well this this big bang you know it started the size of a, of a particle and it expanded to like this you know size now that's so you know gargantuan you know then the question becomes of course well what did what did it expand into you know so again there there's some there's some aspects of this big bang theory and of of, of our understanding our universe you know, they transcend logic. That's a simple way to, to you know, it, it just, our, our logical reasoning just cannot, you know, come up with a conception of, of how it works. Well, I tend to think of space itself being infinite. And so I tend to think that, that no matter how far someone would go in any direction, they just keep going. But, of course, they'd die eventually. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, starvation or old age yeah <laughs> but that that kind of like applies to the the infinite universe but then like for example like when when you pl apply that reasoning to the known universe the observable universe you know it's been expanding you know since 13.8 billion years ago right so it's expanding and then you got to pause it wait a minute so there's got to be an edge of that expansion right and so then you've got like an edge between the observable universe and the infinite universe. And so, you know, um, uh, and how do we understand that? You know, because you're right. I, th I think logically we're, we kind of like would have to assume that our observable universe, if there's nothing to stop it, will continue expanding indefinitely, you know, eternally into, into this void. It's almost like we're just tiny pieces of DNA in, inside of a cell, which is inside of something else, which is inside of something else, and it just goes bigger and bigger. I mean, who knows? I mean, this universe might be in an endless sea of other universes, but if there are other universes, then it's no longer called a universe. It's called a multiverse. Yeah. Right, and even that, like, you know, so, like, if there were, let's say, an infinite number of multiverses, then they would be subsumed under one, you know, reality. You know, because the universe basically means one, right? So, like, yeah. so we would apply these island universes, and all together they would, they would comprise one universe. But, but the multiverse, you're right, because, like, you know, we have this Big Bang expansion. For all we know, there could be Big Bangs, you know, at, 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 you know, at distances so astronomically far from us that somehow they're not interacting with, with our expansion. You, you know, I think the whole multiverse versus one universe is really semantics, and here's why. Let's take, for example, um, the, you know, a chessboard. A chessboard is a great example because the whole thing is a square, whether it's made out of plastic or wood or whatever. The whole thing could be a square, but there's eight little squares inside that square. And it's all part of one reality of the chessboard, but people, but you have inside each square, you have people talking about their observable square and say, well, this this square um, began this way or whatever, and where and where other people are talking about the whole square, the the one square of existence. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, a good analogy. 
the whole concept of infinite universes, it, 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 um, it's very hard to wrap your head around. I mean, you ever um, seen what happens when you face one mirror in front of another mirror? It looks like there's infinite mirrors, doesn't it, in, like in the mirror? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that concept um, just, um, it's, it's, it just gets weird. Yeah, it gets weirder right. and weirder as you look into it. But the important point for our discussion is like, whatever kind of universe or multi-universes or whatever we can conceive of, you know, there's absolutely no mechanism, no model, no theoretical understanding that allows for free will. You know, and that's simply breaking it down to kind of like, well, things are either caused or uncaused, and either prospect prohibits free will. So, you know, if, in other words, like, there's certain things that we can know, there's certain things we, you know, we have to guess at, but this, this question of, of whether we have a free will or not, it's not an unknowable, it's not something we have to guess at. The, you know, the, the, the notion of free will is absolutely impossible, regardless of how we see the universe. Yeah, because repeatable experimentation shows, without a doubt, that things on a chemical level are cause and effect. There is no um, uncaused when it comes to chemical reactions. Yeah. See, here's the deal, guys, is we don't... We, it's true that, you know what, we are guessing about exactly what happened in the past. I call myself sort of past agnostic in the sense that I don't know what happened in the past with any type of real certainty, but I know it wasn't up to me. <laughs> Exactly. That's that's the thing. Um, but it is, you know, see, one one interesting um, aspect of this whole free will discussion is that it brings us to these these um, other major questions about the nature of reality. Is reality causal? Is it a causal? You know, are we in one universe that, that's eternal or are there multiple universes that follow each other? Um, there's a lot of questions, you know, is the universe conscious or is the universe just like an inert kind of a thing, you know, and, and it's like, and these, these questions, you know, they, they derive directly from this, you know, exploring this matter of free will. That's why, you know, in a certain sense, the, the concept of free will can be used like in a curriculum to then introduce so many things, in, introducing the unconscious, introducing neurobiology, introducing basic logic. You know, so that, that's why. And, and the other thing is, like, we have, like, certain of our sciences, like climate change, evolution, that's just so beyond the average person's um, ability to figure it out on their own without extensive knowledge, right? Um, and even without, with climate change, without extensive kind of, like, faith in the science and, and you know, scientists that, that publish results. But with the free will thing and all that we've been talking about, you know, it's a great way to to exercise one's um, logic, to develop one's critical analysis skills in a way that doesn't require all this, you know, this extra um, knowledge that, you know, these other issues require. Yeah. See, George, I agree that this free will topic, it's a good starting topic. It's like, because once you have the free will question, that introduces you to causality and a causality, which fit into models of the universe and fit into people's belief in God. And so I think there is a natural pro progression, like the free will is the, is the first domino of philosophy, 
or science, just basic logic. And then from that, you can discuss other topics. And what, what I think is interesting, George, is that everyone that I've ever known, you know, it seems they believe in something eternal in some way, you know, because you do have, like, for example, on one hand, you have a lot of uh, monotheists who believe in a, an eternal God. God is eternal. That's one of the attributes. And, but then they mock um, somebody else who just says the universe is eternal. But what I want to know is why would one person be able to believe in something eternal but then act like it's messed up for somebody else to believe in something eternal? That makes sense, yeah. And another thing that this whole free will issue does is that it highlights a deficit in many of our thinking. In other words, some of us get this. Some of us understand causality. Causality, cause and effect, is not a difficult, complicated concept. It's pretty straightforward. It's extremely straightforward. You know, it's like one plus one equaling two. So... Um, so we've got, you know, we've got a lot of academics, a lot of PhDs who I think they believe they, they understand causality, but they really don't, you know, especially the ones who kind of like refute uh, free will altogether, like libertarian free will. So, so that's, you know, that provides us with two kinds of challenges. One, to try to understand how these people that are like, you know, they're educated, that somehow they, they've got good memories, they can learn and they can re you know, retain what they've learned and retrieve it. But somehow their critical analysis is very weak. You know, how, how, that, how that could be? How could people be like that? And then the other question, I guess, is like, you know, well, how, how, you know what do we need to do um, to be able to, like, teach this? You know, what, what, you know um, why haven't people understood this? And what do people need to hear in order to be able to understand it? Well, you know, George, I think of it as a magnificent story. I think of causality. You know, people fear causality because for, I don't. I think they shouldn't fear it because it's really not something to fear. Um, because they believe that it will take a, take away their sense of control of their life. Um, but first of all, I would say their fears are misplaced because the feeling of control that gives us satisfaction is simply when we are doing what we want, which is obviously not the same thing as free will. Second of all, there is great beauty to be found in determinism because that's what history is. That's what, whenever someone's studying history uh, about events that happened and what caused this or that to happen, well, they're studying about the causes. Well, this person did this and it led to this and this happened and that caused this, this culture to change or caused this language to evolve from that language. And take, for example, my mom, she likes um, seeing how music has evolved over time, how different styles of music and different cultures have changed and what musicians influenced others. And so there's beauty in that. And no matter what topic you're into, studying the causes of things and seeing how it all makes a story is a great thing that we can get enjoyment from. Absolutely. Um, there's another component that's like when we ask ourselves why some people don't understand this. I, I happen to be Jewish, you know, by birth and, you know, you know, I was Orthodox Jewish for a while. 
And yesterday I was actually in a park waiting for a bus and these two kids, they're like, I don't know, um, late teens, early 20s. They're Orthodox Jewish. They're, you know, they're basically proselytizing for Judaism. And so like, you know, I was talking to them and we got around to the subject, for example, I was making the point, you know, like, because I was making the point that religion has to evolve. And I said to them, you know, like, we used to believe that the... um, the sun revolves around us. And now we understand that we revolve around the sun. And this guy that I was talking to was saying, no, actually, the, the, the sun does revolve around us because it says it in this book, in, the, in this teaching that goes back several thousand years ago. And so his point was like that we shouldn't understand what we understand because it makes sense. We should understand what we understand because it was written somewhere and we have to believe that what was written somewhere several thousand years ago is true. And let me tell you, that is such a dangerous concept because like, for example, in, in, in politics, for example, you have a lot of Jews who kind of like believe that like, because in, in, in um, the Torah it says that, like the, that, that um, Israel is their homeland forever they will deny, for example, the Palestinians um, their rights based on this belief. And in, in, in turn, you have a lot of Arabs or a lot of Muslims, or at least some um, militant ones, that say, well, you know, like, that Judaism and Christianity are kind of like satanic or whatever, you know. So in other words, like, these beliefs, a belief-based ideology that, that some people like, that, that, that causes people to not understand this cause and effect, is extremely dangerous, you know, to, to the peace in the world and all. So, you know, I think we have really strong reason to pull away people, pull people from belief, you know, from a belief-based kind of like perspective on reality to a perspective that, no, it's based on science, it's based on what makes sense, what's reasonable. Yeah, George, what you just summed up is you summed up the problem that I have with organized religions like that. The ones that have a book that must be believed, no matter what it all experience, at what whatever evidence shows, they have to believe that book over anything else. And what's dangerous about that is that because it only takes one thing to be wrong in there that they believe that causes harm. And so I agree that we all need to be um, thinking about things and believe things that actually make sense. Like Christians commonly believe in eye for an eye, don't they? Well, yeah, yeah well, it's part yeah. of their their religion, really. Actually, that's more Old Testament than New Testament, but yes. And 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 uh, you, Chandler, you're talking about one the only one thing that they have to get wrong, and that one thing is that like you know that that this book says the truth. Once once they accept that, you know absurd statement then that sets the stage for for you know infinite absurdities well yeah because like like here's a fine example um if they if they if they believe some of the stuff in there um there are for example like stories in the bible like you know how um solomon had that affair with bathsheba um you you know and while his her husband uriah was out at war and so then they had a child together but then the but then the punishment was th- that God killed the child basically. Oh yeah, and in the Bible there's like you know like, you know if if the parents sin or if if, if a couple sins then the the sins of the parents are going to be visited on the children and grandchildren great grandchildren for generations. 
you know, that doesn't seem fair, you know, doesn't seem right. Right. It's certainly not. But it, it leads us to these bizarre beliefs where when something bad happens, we're not looking at the true causality behind it, but rather we think it's a punishment from some some god who's an overlord or it's some kind of magic karma that is causing us to be punished for something we did in a past life even. Um, rather than looking at, well, this bad thing happened to us or this good thing might have happened to us, what caused this to happen? And once we know what caused something to happen, we can cause it to happen more or less. And that's the beauty of understanding the true causality of things rather than assuming that something bad happened to you because you deserved it. Because I'll tell you, that's the big lie, is that the whole just world fallacy, thinking that people get what they deserve. Absolutely. I think, you know, um, the world is changing. The, the millennial generation, for example, is much more amenable to, like, socialism, to these socialist ideals of, like, you know, well, actually, the collective is more important than the rights of an individual. It's more important for everyone to be taken care of and have enough, you know, to eat and housing and all that. It's more, you know, the, the group has more of a right to that that an individual has of, like, of, of being a billionaire or, you know, you know, you know, just, like, earning as much as they, they can. So, like, basically, young people in the world are, are, you know, adopting a much wiser, much more sustainable ideology. So I think it's, it's just a matter of time, whether it's five, 10 years, 20 years, this, this whole belief, you know, the, the belief-based system, you know, that, that's, that religions are founded on, I think is going to just, you know, evaporate. And with it, the, this, this belief that we have free will, you know, like right now, again, we're, we're kind of like, we're launching a revolution, we're leading a revolution in thought. It's not going to happen overnight, but, but, you know, it's, it's getting, you know, more and more magazines the first magazine um, uh, philosophy magazine this you know this month last month um, published its first challenge of the free will as a cover story you know it's been challenged three times by major science magazines um, so yeah it, you know we are kind of like at the cutting edge of this major revolution that you know one thing that, you know just getting back to that other theme is once people look at this topic it's going to tell us a lot about other people. For example, if we have a leader in the world, both either in academia or in politics, and they're telling us that, yes, we have a free will, you know, we can, we can glean from that. This person is not very intelligent. This person may be using belief for his criteria, but he's not using reason. And he's being illogical, you know, to a certain extent delusional. So this is a great issue to kind of like, you know, help us kind of like, uh, choose our leaders, you know, to, to kind of like to, to evaluate a person and determine whether that person is, you know, is only, you know, attempting to sound intelligent or whether that person got into a position of authority, like being like the president of a college or something, because they actually know things and know how to think, or because they're actually maybe like a charismatic, they know people and they just like, you know, they, they're not in their positions of authority, really, because they are quote unquote authorities on on whatever it is. A lot of reason why the politicians are where they are is because they know how to manipulate people, wouldn't it? So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we, I, think, I think what's interesting is that the reason things persist is because, you know, the, the whole idea, it, it like in a sense, might makes right because whoever has the might gets to 
tell people what's right and those people believe them because they have the might. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, this I mean, guy, that's... Um, go ahead, James, I'm sorry. I was going to say, um, there's this guy that Trick Slatter is debating about free will on uh, Twitter. Um, this uh, free will believer, I'm not going to say his name, but um, he claims that he's a determinist, yet he believes in free will. He's kind of a compa compatibilist in a way. But, um... Trick slightly try to explain to him, look, if things can only turn out one way, then how does that leave room for free will? Because it, our brains obey the same laws of physics as everything else, doesn't it? So, same cause, same effect. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, in, in any case, I, I definitely think people, as they investigate this free will issue, they will. They, it will help them think more logically in all other areas of their life. And, and I do think, George, that you're right. You know, there is a change that's happening, and it's only a matter of time before everyone gets this. And so all, all we're really doing is trying to help prepare people for a new world where people are more compassionate because they no longer really believe that people deserve to suffer. Yeah, we're getting people to think. You know, a lot of times, you know, it's like the um, the emperor without any clothes. Sometimes people in authority say things and they're accepted because, like, people don't really think about them. But once they think about them, it's just a matter of time before they get the, the answer right. And so that's, that's, you know, we're playing a major role in this. I mean, there's nobody on the planet that's doing anywhere near what we're doing to, to lead this revolution in human consciousness. And it is a matter of time, whether it's like, Again, five years, ten years, who, know, who knows, but that, that the world is going to change in the direction we're leading it, you know, that's pretty inevitable. I, I don't think that there's a way that, um, that this free will belief can be sustained, you know, even another 20, 30 years. Yeah, I mean, how long can you keep a lie up before the truth um, finally gets exposed? I mean, we're in the age of reason where people accept evolution um, as a fact. Because it is a fact, and Richard Dawkins um, wrote several books on uh, evolution, and you might have read some of them, uh, George Ortega. Um, I believe one of his books is called *The Selfish Gene*, in it, uh, *Channel Clips*. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was basically explaining, like, I think it's something to do with uh, people's morals and ethics and everything else. Like, they're they're based on culture and upbringing. Um, Everything you do is based on natural selection, and he said that in like a number of his lectures, didn't he? So, yeah. See, what I like, what what here's what I like about evolution is it's about causality. Well, why is this this way? How did what? How did we get this moral system? How did we get these certain belief systems? So I'm heavily interested in how how things have evolved how things have changed over time and what we're seeing is a social evolution a change of ideas a change in what people believe and how they act which is which is that's the most important type right there because it will lead to less pain more pleasure more people being happy that's the idea anyway yeah, yeah and and like you know as I, as I explained in my last book I mean, this, this may have major implications for dealing. I mean, climate change is, is going to be our, our challenge for the next 100 years at least, you know. I mean, we have to just get a lot of things right. We have to, like, change the way we do things. And so, like, you know, as I explained in my book, if people believe in free will and that belief in free will 
leads them to kind of like not be able to accept what the scientists are telling us about climate change so that they go into denial about that, that it's happening. You know, this is, this is just one instance where like the belief in free will isn't just harming us on a personal level day to day. It's harming us as a whole global civilization. So, you know, again, like these kinds of, you know, I've just, one of the things that this whole free will issue has taught me is that our leaders, our scientists are not nearly as intelligent as we often give them credit for. And so, but, you know, with, with things, you know, we, we have to just simply wait until people within them, leaders within the certain fields, you know, kind of like begin to understand things that we've already understood. I mean, again, we're leading this, but we really need the, 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 um, the authorities within academia to understand what we're saying, you know, understand the, the, uh, this profound um, harm, you know, this existential harm, actually, you know, with the, the climate change connection that that free will, you know, subjects us to. I mean, it, you know, it, it's an extremely important topic. I yeah. understand the free will illusion is important for our mental health and criminal justice systems as well, because we could be more proactive in preventing crime from happening in the first place. I mean, instead of like um, being for retribution and bringing back torture and the death penalty and all that stuff that you know often comes up in the Bible, how about we um, bring about a mental health system that aims to stop people from offending in the first place? Yeah. Hey guys, um, I, I need to end this episode because I have to go soon, but this has been a great talk and in the future I think we'll want to talk a little bit more about the climate change and how we deal with truths that are, are inconvenient for, because they're, they make us sad when we recognize the truth but, and how we deal with that because that's overcoming emotional biases is one of the hardest things to do. That sounds yeah. great, absolutely. As I mentioned with the mental health system thing, that I mean that needs to be reformed because uh, I do think it's important, George, that um, neuroscientists discover the causes of uh, you know crime and aim to you know tackle this on a mental health level. Jamie, I agree with you completely. I think we have to focus on this a lot more because, like you know, you're right. I mean, like this free will belief is causing people to commit crimes that they wouldn't commit. You know, were it not for this belief, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got in this episode, but it was great talking to you guys, and I'll talk to you tomorrow too. So. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. Yeah. You've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs, George Ortega, and Jamie Soden, and we had a lot of fun talking about causality and the first cause argument, and about the the eternal universe or the big bang or multiverse and all that fun stuff and how the free will topic once we think about it leads us to so many other questions that we can have fun discussing but not just fun we make a difference and eventually make a happier world thank you for listening and goodbye